Lord, we do come to you and just lift our hands and our hearts and our minds and worship to you. You are worthy.
Chad, would you actually pull up the slide that begins, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor? I think this song has some of the most thick, theologically rich poetry uh, out of a lot of the songs we sing. And I don't, I, I don't want to move out of this, this too fast because these are such great words. Um, I would actually invite you actually just close your eyes and let me just read this over you. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor on a daily basis I am constrained to be. Let your goodness, like a, a fetter, almost like a handcuff, bind my heart, which is prone to wander, let it bind it to you. Lord, I am prone to wander, and I feel it, and I know it. And I am prone to leave the God I love, and I know that, and I feel that at times. But Lord, I say, here is my heart. Take it, seal it, seal it for you and for your courts. Chad, there's the slide then that has the phrase, now my heart has found a home. You can pull that one up. Your love came and set me free. Now my soul can sing a new song. Now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me. And I will never be alone. Lord, we thank you for the words of that song and for their truth. Lord, bind our wandering hearts to thee. It is so easy to wander. It is so easy to stray. Lord, we know that. We feel that. We experience it. Lord, on a daily basis, we consume unfathomable amounts of grace. It is incomprehensible how much I, as one person, how much of your grace I consume. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that my heart can sing a new song. Thank you that my heart has found a home in you. And thank you that you will never leave me nor forsake me. You will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, may the words of this song just annoy us all week. May it be that tune stuck in our head that never goes away. Even when we try to turn on the radio to get something else, it's just always comes back to the words of this song. We love you, Lord. Amen. Let me do a few announcements and then we'll, uh, we'll roll into uh, offertory. Um, thank you for the lovely gift, by the way. Uh, Joe was, uh, we were just reminiscing five years ago today, we packed up our house, uh, in Canada, uh, by God's grace, we sold it in a day, um, moved up everything. Friends help us pack all the stuff in that moving truck that at first seemed gargantuan huge. Uh, and then you fill it up and you're like, I'm not sure we're going to fit. And uh, to this day, we remark on just how smooth that trip was. I mean, uh, with border crossings and, and everything else and multiple days and little kids. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was so uneventfully smooth. It was just fantastic. 
And then next week marks the, the fifth year anniversary that uh, we've been here. And so uh, it has gone by really fast, which I'm thinking is a good thing. Um, that's how we're approaching it. And uh, so it's gone by f- uh, really fast for us. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a delight and a privilege and just a blessing of God to, to be here. And, uh, you know, neither Joe or I ever envisioned, uh, you know, the pastor, pastor's wife thing. Uh, I remember distinctly not wanting to be a pastor, actually. And, um, but someday we'll, we'll go down memory lane. Um, we had Love Henderson last Wednesday. A lot of fun. 75, over 75 people helped out. Um, great time. Really, the, the biggest restrictor was just that it got to be too late and we ran out of sunlight and we didn't give headlamps out. Uh, but it was a lot of fun, a great time. Next weekend, uh, you're not going to want to miss that. Second graders are going to receive in Bibles. That's a lot of fun. So that's going to be next weekend. Also, if you missed last weekend, you should go to the website and watch that video. Gary Wall came and spoke. Um, Gary Wall is the Pacific District Minister for the Pacific District conference and i had asked him to come and and almost give just a, a missions report I, I said gary we we want to understand the broader mb family what's going on where are the successes where are the struggles what's what's happening for you over there help us understand the bigger mb family and uh he came and he just just hit a home run with it it was fantastic to to hear from him last weekend so uh if you missed that i would encourage you to, to check that out online and um yeah uh, in your bulletin, as you know, we're continuing to, to carry on with the rebranding discussion, and we're we're kind of in that in that phase where we're just kind of just trudging through it, uh, doing a, a lot of work trying to figure this out. Our group continues to meet on a weekly basis, and um, we we met with Sunday school classes over the last two weeks, and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my my time with, with our class this morning. Thanks for letting me uh, be a part of that. Um, very fascinating, very helpful. After the church service as well, too, uh, a couple of people are going to be uh, hanging out in the family center. And we're just, the, the tear-off portion, you know, we, we want to continue to have conversation. And this is one way to have conversation, so we would encourage you to, uh, to give us some feedback there and, and come talk to us. And we're going to try to come talk to you as well, too, as much as possible. So that can, continues on. Um, a couple of community needs. Um, uh, maybe, uh, some of you probably know the, the Schweitzers are doing a fundraiser for another uh, service dog. Uh, the previous one was Tux was killed uh, by another dog in town, so they're looking to raise, oh, what was it now, ten to fifteen um, thousand for a dog. Um, also, um, Cynthia Bell, we're looking to help them out with a, a vehicle, and so we'll need about four or five for that. And there's verbal agreements for three thousand that has come in. And uh, so if you have questions on that, you can talk to DOT. Accounts have been set up at both churches for, um, or both churches, both banks, um, for both of those situations as, as well, too. So uh, a couple needs in our community. Garage parties are coming up soon. Uh, we're not going to, there will be no Wednesday night live here. Um, all the churches are, are canceling their normal Wednesday night activities and participating in, uh, in garage parties again as well. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, and once again, more details in your bulletin, but just a reminder, the MCC Canner, um, they're not going to be in town this year. They, they were unable to find all the workers that they need to, to, to bring that into town, and so that's actually being staged out in North Newton. So um, always a, a neat deal there. And as always, check out your mailboxes. There's some newsletters um, in there as well. I think that's... Uh, uh, it for, there are other announcements, but just a few that I wanted to highlight. Um, I'll do a prayer, and, and then we'll do the offering. Just a reminder that we are set up where you can give online now, and so you can either download the app um, and give through that, or you can also give through the website. There's information sheets on the, on the back on how you want to set that up. Um, I love setting this up because it lets me just do a monthly uh, uh, like bank withdrawal, and then I never forget it. And it's fantastic. And somewhere there's a computer server doing my work for me, and then everyone's happy. So uh, we're pretty excited about having that set up and running. So let me do a word of prayer, and then we will uh, worship with our tithes and offerings, and then carry on. Heavenly Father, 
thank you for the opportunity to, to give through our finances, to give through um, our tithes and offerings. And Lord, once again, we just say, you know, Lord, it's not ours, it's yours. And we are stewards of it. Everything that is in our possession, really, we are stewards for you. Whether it be our material possessions, whether it even be family, whether it be our jobs, whether it be our, our roles in the community. Lord, we want to see those as a gift from you um, and opportunities to, uh, to steward what you give us. So thank you for this opportunity to give. Thank you for this church. Thank you for its heritage. Thank you for its future. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, worship team. We have a good worship team, don't we? Like, yeah. If you can't answer the why question, oftentimes the what and the how will get taken care of. The why question is one of the most important questions to deal with um, in a lot of different ways. Uh, as a parent, you walk into a room and there's, um, uh, what's a good word, commotion. Let's, let's go with that. There's a commotion in the different room. And you walk in. First, you want to establish why. Um, it may have been very well-intentioned. It, it, it may have been accidental or it may have been very mischievous. And you respond to those uh, in different ways, right? Um, the why question, uh, perhaps within your, your, the place where you work or your family, uh, you know, you have some grand idea for, for what could be. First, you need to address the why question. And if you're able to address the why question, then people will really get on board and kind of figure out the, the what and the how. Um, even in politics, um, I found that um, if, you're, if you're able to kind of do some research, and figure out the why behind a particular course of action, it can serve to really kind of de-villainize um, the person or the decision that was made. Understanding the why is, is very helpful. A lot of times even just in, in conflict reconciliation, whether it be two friends or a married couple or that kind of thing, if you can get to the why, 
behind the, the action or the words or that kind of thing, it really can help to, to kind of disarm the situation and foster good communication. So understanding the why is hugely, hugely important. Today we're looking at Psalm 103, so we're in a short series looking at various selected psalms. The book of Psalms has five different books, kind of from different eras, and uh, they were um, assembled, they think, around the time of Ezra. And they think what Ezra did is he, he, he kind of assembled them, got them in order, wrote a really good opening psalm, wrote a very good kind of ending psalm, and, and kind of packaged it all up nicely. And so we've just been pulling um, a psalm from each of these, these different books within the book. And um, so today we're on Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is a very popular psalm. You're going to recognize some of these phrases. It's, it's, it's a beautiful psalm. It's brilliant. It's personal. It's corporate. It's quotable. Uh, quotable. It's just a great psalm. And it is a why psalm. Almost all of Psalm 103 addresses the question of why. There's a little bit of an intro on what. There's a little bit of a conclusion on what. But the most of the psalm is why. And, and the author is trusting that if we understand the why, then the, the intro and the conclusion, kind of the hows, like we're going to figure that out. Growing up, my family really almost always recited Psalm 103 verses 1 and 2 uh, for meals. I mean, we, now we just call it the family prayer. I mean, on both sides. I, we go visit grandma and grandpa, gather for a meal. Hold hands, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, amen. That was the family prayer for meals all growing up, except for breakfast. We never prayed at breakfast. I don't know about you guys. I'm not sure why, but we weren't breakfast prayer people. But lunch and supper, that, that was the prayer on both sides. Psalm 103 has other famous sayings. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Another saying, as for man, his days are like grass. Another saying, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. That's a neat phrase that, that you'll see actually in a couple places in the psalm, from everlasting to everlasting. That's just one of those ugh, just short, concise statements that just has so much in it that you just dwell on that for a long time. Um, we're going to look at Psalm 103. Some of you some of you need to hear Psalm 103 today uh, because you're struggling with the why, and that happens. Uh, I have struggled with why. You have struggled with why. Sometimes we just need a refresher on the why, and then that drives the, the, the what and the how. But Psalm 103 is going to give us uh, some of the why. A little bit of setting. Um, so... Only Psalm 101 and 103 are identified as being written by David. But here's something that you have to remember is that the Psalms were oftentimes put in a certain order for a certain reason. Now, it's not like all 150 flow together, but there are definitely kind of clusters. I mean, Psalm 23 is fantastic, but really Psalm 22 and Psalm 24 match up with Psalm 23 quite nicely uh, when you look into it. And Psalm 103 is kind of like that. And even though 101 and, and 103 are identified as written by David, I, I think that actually 101 to 104 are just are, are kind of a group, a kind of a, a cluster. And um, we're, we're, we won't touch 101 or 104. Um, 101, it, it, it's a good psalm of intention. Um, you know, David proclaiming some of the things that, that he wants to do. I want to look briefly at Psalm 102, though, because to really understand 103... I think you have to understand the setting. I think 102 gives us the setting or kind of the precursor for what happens in 103. And then 104 just uses some of the same language, and so that, that's why I, th I think it's connected. Um, Psalm 102, just very briefly, there, there's a few things that I want to point out. Psalm 102 is a psalm of misery, really. It, it is a psalm of hardship. It, it is a psalm of affliction. Um, whatever it is that is afflicting, uh, afflicting the author, and, and I think it's David, whatever it is that, that is afflicting him, it is so significant that it's actually um, causing physical ailments. Now, maybe it's political strife, maybe it's unresolved sin, maybe it's physical illness, maybe he's being chased by Saul and, and he writes this as he hides in a cave and, and starves. 
I mean, we know that he experienced almost all of these. So, so we, we don't know that. But whatever it is that's afflicting him, like you, you see it in his flesh. Uh, listen, just hear some of his misery that he writes about in Psalm 102. It begins with, hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Later on, he writes, for my days pass away like smoke. My bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. My bones cling to my flesh. I lie awake. All the day my enemies taunt me. I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. I wither like grass. He has broken my strength mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You kind of get the feeling that he's middle-aged at this time, and he has a sense that he's going to die very soon. The psalm begins with just his own suffering and just deep grief and deep sorrow. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Do not hide your face in my distress. My days pass like smoke. I, I, I don't eat. I, I can't sleep. All day long my enemies taunt me. Tears mingle with my drink. I wither like grass. It's interesting, though, and, and I do want to point this out. In Psalm 102, even in the midst of his misery, like he really opens with his misery and, and he kind of concludes with his misery. But in the middle of the psalm, he has these remarkable words on God. Verse 12, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. Verse 15, nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will fear your glory. Verse 18, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people not yet to be created may praise the Lord. Even in the midst of just this deep sorrow and hardship and pain, he has this remarkably positive view on God and, it, and a desire to see God honored in all of this. Um, I was particularly struck by, by verse 18. Um, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. He is saying, in the midst of this misery, record all of this so that a generation that hasn't even been born yet may hear this story, know this story, and as a result of that, praise the Lord. The, 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 the foresight, the, the big picture thinking is, is remarkable. Um, and and I, it was, I was... Yeah, and I, I, I thought of this church as I was reading that and wanted to just kind of give you some encouragement. You know, when I first came here, I had a lot of conversations with Al Magnuson. And in, in those conversations, one of the things he told me is that you look at the history of the church and they have done very brave and bold things. He goes, I, I forget, I think it was about 50 years ago, maybe, this church made the radical step of actually hiring a full-time hired pastor position that was unusual at the time prior to that this this church was out in the country and this church made the radical decision of let's move honestly what a few miles into town because we think that for a generation yet to come that's the most beneficial thing five years ago the whole governance structure is reworked today we're looking at rebranding and renaming why do people do these things? Because none of them are easy. Tearing down a building in the country, moving it in, and then building this by hand, that's not easy. Shifting your, your governance structure, go, going through the rebranding process, um, hiring a, a pastor when, when that was kind of a new and, and novel concept. Like These are not flippant decisions, and they require hard work. 
why do people willingly say, oh, let's pick the hard route? They do it because they look to the future, they look to the horizon, and they say, how do we best set up the next generation for success? How do we facilitate a people yet to be created praising the Lord? It's, it's remarkable, remarkable vision and foresight that this, that this church ha- has exhibited. Uh, back on Psalm 102. Um, so, so David is writing these words. He's experiencing great suffering, uh, so much so that it's affecting his health. And yet, despite that, he has just these great words, um, just this mental and spiritual clarity to praise God, to honor God, and to see God appraised by a generation that does not yet exist. The psalm ends with no resolution. None. Uh, when the psalm ends, life is still awful, but God is still good. So let's do things that remember that God is good, but life is still really, really awful. And honestly, some of you may be in Psalm 102. Or at least you visited there recently. Or maybe spent a few years there. I don't know. All of us have been in 102. We're probably going to revisit 102 b- before our kind of final graduation ceremony. No resolution, no specifics, just misery and praise. Something happens. We don't know what. Maybe David's health, maybe he gets healed. Uh, maybe circumstances have changed. Maybe politically you know, things are better. Maybe he's no longer being uh, pursued by Saul. Maybe he read Psalm 73 and he just changed his perspective from two sermons ago, in case you want to reference that. But something changes and he writes this remarkable Psalm 103. We're going to do this just a little bit backwards. Um, The first two verses and the last couple verses are the how verses. The middle verses are the why, and that's actually where I want to start. I want to start on verse 103 and just and we're just gonna just kind of quickly just look look at this at at the bulk of the psalm and at the heart of the psalm psalm 103 verse 3 david writes of god who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases so he begins with sin and the fact that god is willing to forgive all of our sins and really that's the best place to start right it's kind of interesting, actually, if, if you ever go back and look at the things that God has done and the effort required by God to do those things. God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, how much effort did that require? He spoke. That's just, that's exhaling with like a little bit of lip action. Uh, there's a verse in the New Testament that talks about um, driving out demons by the finger of God, right? So that's like this motion, okay? Not really working up a sweat. Um, in Revelation, when Satan is thrown into prison, God doesn't even do it himself. Like he sends the hired man to do it. Have you noticed that? It's another angel that goes and grabs Satan and throws him into prison. God doesn't even bother. But to save us from our sins... That's 33 years on earth with a death on the cross. I mean, if you look at the effort required by God to do certain things, our salvation way, way outweighs everything else that he has done. A new heaven and an earth, that's just like a little bit more talking. But to save us from our sins, uh, we will never understand the the depth of that, of, of what he really went through. David begins with sins, the fact that that God is willing to forgive our sins. Great place to start. Uh, He mentions heals all our diseases. That could be literal. That that could be, um, um, uh, not literal, but um, what's the other word? (laughs) Um, Metaphorical. Um, it could be that, that David did have a physical illness that he was healed from. Um, sometimes we see people healed of diseases miraculously. Sometimes we don't. Seems to happen a little bit more in other countries, but um, that like that is a thing that happens. Or, or maybe it's just symbolic of what has happened for him emotionally, spiritually, uh, that kind of thing. 
verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. So pit is often a metaphor for death. Uh, so here he's saying, you know, that, that David is saved from some kind of death. Again, maybe David was saved from physical death or more likely he's talking about how we were saved from spiritual death. I mean, he, he redeemed our life. He bought us back from the pit, from death to crown with love and compassion. There's beautiful imagery on that. To, and, and, and by comparison, if I give you a ring of love and compassion or a bracelet of love and compassion, like those are very nice accessories. But if I crown you, there is a nobility, a royalty, a sense of fullness that comes with that imagery to say that we are crowned with love and compassion. Like that's so much more than like, I got a bracelet from the vending machine. It's really cool. Crown just carries a lot of great imagery. Verse 5, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Uh, eagles are, were a common metaphor for strength and vitality. Uh, David says our strength is like that of the eagles. The really remarkable thing, though, I find is that, that our desires are not neglected. And, and, and this is fascinating to me. Some of our desires are sinful. Yep, yeah, we, we know. <laughs> but some are good and noble. And I think a lot of them are a mix. But I think as we grow as our relationship with the Lord, I think those desires almost get, for lack of a better word, like purified or refined. But, but the point being that, that God satisfies those, that he's interested in that, that, that he's not, he doesn't ignore it. He's not flippant with that. Your desires are important. They should not be buried. They should not be neglected. They should not be ignored. Rather, they should be cultivated and nurtured because that may be some kind of divine spark inside of you that God is wanting to cultivate and have you express. Don't ignore your desires. God wants to fill your desires. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness, justice for all the oppressed. He makes known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. So David is referencing back when people brought the Israelites out of Egypt. They, they were in a foreign land. They were under captivity. God did some amazing miracles, brought them out of Egypt, brought them into the promised land. And the whole thing is one of the most remarkable parallels to Christ on the cross that you will find in all of Scripture. I mean, I believe it's literally true, but even if it's not true, it's just the best metaphor for Christ on the cross that you're going to find. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate, gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. God does not give us the punishment that our sin deserves through his grace, he grants us favors we do not deserve. His love towards us is steadfast. When we were in sin, God had a right, a legal right to contend, to quarrel, to go to the law against us. Against us. To bring judgment, to accuse us of sin. But now because of his grace, he, he no longer does those things. For those of us in Christ, it's the opposite. Christ intercedes for us on a daily basis. There's actually verses that say that both Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit daily intercede for each one of us. That's kind of powerful. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great his love for those who fear him. In the ancient world, the distance between earth and the heavenly bodies was the highest conceivable distance. Now for us today, we know a lot more about space. We've seen Pictures from the, the, the Hubble telescope. We've seen man walk on the moon. We've seen, you know, selfies of rovers on Mars and that kind of thing, right? Space for us is a lot more attainable, a lot more measurable. But to them, it was the impossible distance, right? To, to put a man on the moon was, no, like, no. It was the impossible distance. The same thing for east is from the west. It's the impossible distance so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. We don't need to worry about sin. They are eternally separated from us. 
As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. When you are at your absolute best as a parent or as a grandparent, I mean, like you're just hitting it out of the park. And I'm not talking like you just gave them candy, like like you're doing a good job, like you're loving them, you're enjoying them, that kind of thing. At your absolute best, you still stand really only as a shadow of what God is as a parent. Like for us, perfect parenting, we take our cue from God the Father. Verse 14, he knows how we are formed. He remembers we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. He addresses our frailty, our brevity. Probably the most well-known phrase from funerals is ashes to ashes and dust to dust. It's pulled from a couple scriptures. This one, Genesis 3.19, for dust you are and to dust you will return. Biologically, we begin as dirt and, and we return as ashes and dust and our life has come full circle. Our flesh begin as elements of the earth and return as elements of the earth. Honestly, it's a little bit depressing. But let me also tell you this, you've never met a mortal person. Every person you have ever met will live forever. And they will live forever by their own choosing on whether or not they have chosen to live forever with God or by their own choosing they have chosen to live away from God. God is a gentleman and he will honor our decisions. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. When God extends his gracious blessings toward us, they not only affect us, but they actually affect generations following us. They affect our children, our children's children. Uh, there's another verse, uh, another verse somewhere that, that talks about forget what it is now it's like a hundred generations i mean it, it, it's some huge number the grace that we are shown affects our families for multiple generations and all from the lord whose kingdom rules over all so it's a pretty good list isn't it it's a pretty good why list on why we should do verses 1 and 2 and verses 20, 21, and 22. I mean, it, it, it's, the, it's the, the core of the psalm. And the psalm begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. Verse 20, Bless the Lord, O you his angels. Okay, you're going to see him start high and work back down to himself. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obey the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So it kind of starts off with instructing his own soul to bless the Lord, and then he, he circles back to that at the end. When the psalm opens, it's very personal for David. He's telling his soul to bless the Lord and all that is within me. Every ounce of being is to bless God with all his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his energy, with all of his might. He is to worship and celebrate God. The word bless comes from the Hebrew word barak or barak, and it means to bend the knee, to kneel before. So in one way, you, you could say David is calling us to kneel before the Lord, to submit to him, to honor him. And David concludes by calling upon all creation to bless the Lord. It's not enough that he do it personally. All of God's creation should do this. So here's the thing, though. I've really struggled with how to apply this. And, and, and let me explain that a bit. Um, if we were to to really dive into what does it mean to really express the Lord with all I am, every ounce of energy, every ounce of being, just all that I am, 
it's probably going to require a more expressive form of worship. Now, I, like many of you, are from some good German-Russian stock. And we like to worship God in our thinking. We like to worship God in our piety. We like to worship God in our work ethic. But not so much like the flailing of the arms and the legs. Like, honestly, if you do that, it's a little bit distractive and you're probably vain and it's inappropriate. And yet, when I read this, I go, huh, okay. And here's the, here's the other thing. And this, you're, this is maybe nerdy, but this is a legit, legitimate fear of mine. I am nervous that one day that I'm going to stand before God at the Bema judgment. At, at there's, uh, Revelation seems to talk about two different judgments, a salvation judgment and then kind of a, an awards ceremony, so to, so to speak, but just kind of where God responds to, to all that we did on earth. So someday I'm going to stand before God. God is going to be in front of me. The entire history of the entire Christian church is going to be behind me. We're going to review my life. And, and at the parts where there's like worship sessions, like I'm going to be mortified and embarrassed and all these other Christians from all these other countries and all these other different eras are going to look at me and be like, dude, you were stiff as a board. Like, did you not know who you were worshiping? And I'm just going to have nothing good to say. You know, well, no, I was a German Russian. Like, this is how we do it, you know. The um, the Babylon Bee is this website, and they post things on Facebook, and it's just satire, humor, and most of it's around the, the church, and so I just find it hilarious. Um, I kid you not, this la- and so it, it's all fake, right? Like, can we clarify? It's all fake. Uh, so this last week, kind of one of the fake headline news was um, motion-activated lights turn off during Presbyterian worship service. And part of me laughed really hard, and part of me is thinking, don't ever install motion-activated lights in our sanctuary. <laughs> Beca- like, okay, kind of, like, in, I, I don't want to buy 100 tambourines on Amazon and hand them out next week. And yet I am terrified that someday when I stand before God, I'm going to feel like a fool for not buying 100 tamarines and handing them out next week. Right? Uh, like, are you, are, you, are, you, are you tracking with me? Just kind of that tension to say, this, this, is, this is the God of the universe, and, and this is the worship that he deserves, but it gets uber awkward when I try to move my limbs. And, and so, I don't know. It's just, it, it's a tension for me on what works for us and what's comfortable and what's not distracting. And what am I going to be mortified and embarrassed by when I stand before God with the entire history of the Christian church at my back reviewing my life with me? Ethiopia, church service. Kid you not, you've probably heard this before. Offering time. You dance. You dance down the aisle, and you put your offering in the bucket that's at the front of the church, and then you dance back to your seat because Scripture says God loves a cheerful giver. So you are going to dance that offering up to the pulpit. We had some missionary friends. They were in Botswana. Same thing. I mean, worship service. I mean, it is a dance. Like, they jam-packed in, hot sweaty steel shed couple hours of dancing in a circle he'd, he'd have the, the trekkers kind of do it around the room and it was as awkward as, as you want to picture it when he left they did kind of a, a love offering for him the church that they worked with when, when their family left and so that's how they did it bucket at the front of the church love offering for for this family they're leaving everyone danced down the aisle put their offering in danced back to their seat the pastor looked in and was like Nope, not enough. Do it again. They did it three times before the pastor said, all right, we can quit now.
yeah, so what do you do with this? Um, the Hebrew word for praise is barak. means to kneel. That's pretty safe, right? Kneel. So here's what I'm, this is, you can do whatever you want, really. <laughs> here's what I'm going to try. On our last song, I'm going to kneel. Now, I, kneeling's hard, and I know for some of you, the, the going down and the getting back up is a little bit tricky, and that, that's fine. You don't have to. But for the last song, that's what I'm going to try. Carlin Weinhauer was a, a pastor. He, he worked at MB Mission, um, now Multiply, previously MBMSI. Um, neat guy. Whenever they would do prayer in board meetings, he would get down and he would kneel on his chair. Not everyone else would, but he would. That would be his thing. You know, board meeting, let's pray beforehand, let's pray after. He would get out and he would kneel on the floor before his chair. So I'm going to try that, but only for two weeks. We'll see how it goes. When we have meetings in the conference room, if you pray with me in the office, this is my commitment to you, as awkward as it is, I'm going to try the kneeling thing at the chair. And we'll see how it goes. The important thing is that God is worthy of our praise. He, he is worthy of us trying new ways to praise him. And, and ultimately, it's not about how comfortable we feel. It's whether or not, is he honored? This is not something we do for us. This is do something that, that we do for him. And the, and, the, and the reasons on why are pretty exhaustive. Like if anyone has earned it, I think he probably has. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your truth. Thank you for how it challenges us and messes up our daily life. God, most of all, thank you that you are worthy of honor and praise. And God, we recognize that. We speak that out. You are worthy of honor and praise. And so, Lord, we want to worship you in ways that is befitting who you are and your character and what you've done. And so, Lord, we just, whatever... For each of us, we're going to kind of have to figure that out. But Lord, we just want to say that our commitment to you is to honor you in ways um, that reflect what it is that you deserve. We love you, Lord. Amen.
hold you and trust you for who you are.